Well, hello, Christ Chapel, to everyone at one of our campuses. If you are watching this sermon, I assume that you have power and are therefore warm. I, I hope so. Man, it was cold. It was, I cannot remember the last time I saw one degree in Texas, uh, if I've ever seen that. But it was really funny because uh, yesterday we were just cabin crazy, and Jen and I got the boys out, and we just ran errands. I mean, it, we went and got gas, which we thought just was super deal to just get the boys out of the house. Uh, but it was so funny because I saw people yesterday, the temperature when we went out to go get gas was 47 degrees, and I saw people in shorts and t-shirts. I, it was amazing. It was like, oh my gosh, this is a heat wave. You know, it's so hot, which is ironic for Texas because when it gets below 70, every, all the Texans pull out fleeces, you know? And so, uh, but it was just a, a super dichotomy. But anyway, thinking about temperature and how uh, cold it was this past week, I was thinking about one of the pieces of advice that was given to me when I transitioned into this lead role was somebody told me, Cody, you need to grow thicker skin. You need to grow thicker skin. And the person that was telling me this, you know, what, what they were meaning, obviously, was that you need to get tougher. You, you need to not let things affect you so much. They knew that different things would come my way, whether it was uh, discouragement or, or it was criticism or, or just adversarial barbs that would come as I sat in a new chair. And what it would take is for me to have a little bit tougher, thicker skin, to, to not be deterred from what God was calling me to do uh, in this new role. And as I was thinking about just staying warm, I thought of that thicker skin. Gosh, I wish I had thicker skin right now <laughs> just to stay warm. But you know, as I thought about that comment, I thought that having thicker skin wouldn't just apply to me, but actually it, it needs to apply to all of us as believers in our world today. Uh, we all need thicker skin. But, uh, you know, that, uh, that admonition to have thicker skin falls under that category of it's easier said than done. I, I mean, I can tell you, hey, as a believer today in an adversarial world that is against Christianity, that doesn't want to see the things of God thrive, that you need to have thicker skin. And you go, great, Cody, that, how do I do that? Uh, I, I, don't, I don't understand how to do that because things still hurt when people say things to me. And, and you know what? I can't take that away. Things still hurt me when people criticize me or, or, or they criticize Christianity or criticize anything that our church is about that I think is right and good. You know that, that old saying, sticks and stones may hurt my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's just not true. Words do hurt and it seems like the more that, that we continue to live out our Christian faith in our world, the more that those words are coming against us, calling us arrogant or intolerant or bigoted or narrow-minded or all of those things that, that are really hard to take. I mean, I know that those things aren't true about me. I know those things aren't true about us as believers, but it's really hard to take, especially when I know my heart is exactly opposite of those things that I'm being accused of. And I go, Cody, just have thicker skin. Just have thicker skin. And it's really hard to do that. It's really hard to say, well, God, I'll have thicker skin, but how do I keep a soft heart? <laughs> how do I keep a soft heart for, for people? How do I keep a soft heart toward the things of you if I have 
thicker skin. It's really hard to live out that balance in our world, to live for the things of God, to have a heart to see people come to know Christ, to live godly lives and to not be distracted by that criticism, to not be deterred or to not be discouraged. There was a a 19th century British theologian, some of you may know him, G.K. Chesterton, and I read a quote from this past week that I love. He says, Christianity has not been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and not tried. And I thought, that is really true. That sometimes when we look at the cost of following Christ in our world, we go, man, that's gonna be tough. That might lead me into some difficult conversations. That might even lead to some broken friendships. I, I, I don't know if, if that's really the way that I want to live my life. And we find it difficult and therefore not tried. But if we can persevere, we can see the great things that God is gonna do if we understand how do you persevere amidst persecution? Because folks, I understand that we, when we talk about persecution, we have, for the majority of us here in America, we have compartmentalized that to other countries in the world. And when we talk about persecution, we go, oh man, glad that only happens in China. Glad that only happens in Africa or the Middle East or somewhere else, but it doesn't happen here. And folks, the heat is only turning up. The heat is getting hotter on us and our Christian faith in America. And maybe you're saying, Cody, I don't feel anything. Then maybe your Christian faith isn't as overt as you think it is. Because Paul tells us in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, verse 15, or chapter 12, uh, verse 12, sorry. He says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. See, that's one of the promises we don't want to talk about in the Bible. (laughs) That if we desire to live a godly life, if we strive to follow Christ in our vocations, in our families, in our everyday lives, then we will be persecuted. The question is, will you persevere through it? And that's what I want to talk about today. So if you will, open your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 6. Nehemiah chapter six, we're gonna continue our series on rebuilding. And I know many of you are maybe even rebuilding frozen pipes that burst uh, this past week. And uh, if you need help, if you need assistance, please contact us at the church. We will do whatever we can uh, to help you. Uh, We want to care about you and we really do care about you holistically. We do care about your spiritual lives, but we care about your physical, your mental uh, well-being as well. So we're going to continue our series uh, through the book of Nehemiah on rebuilding. And today we're going to talk about this uh, nagging issue of persecution that we haven't uh, directly addressed, but it's been there uh, since almost the beginning of this book that Nehemiah has been persecuted as he's tried to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And if you'll remember, as soon as he shows up in Jerusalem, he meets these two shady characters, Sambalot and Tobiah. And these guys have been against him. They are uh, provincial like officials or rulers around the area of Jerusalem. And they've been taking advantage of those Israelites that were there in Jerusalem. 
and they've been taking advantage of them. So they're not happy when Nehemiah shows up on the scene. In fact, in Nehemiah chapter two, verse 10, it says, when Sambalot the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard that I was there, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. I mean, does that just not sound crazy? (laughs) That they are upset because someone has come to seek the welfare of people, but they're mad. Do you ever face this? I mean, in, in, in everyday life, where all you're trying to do is help people in Jesus' name and it displeases others? You, you go, I'm only trying to, to help you here. I'm only trying to do something good. I want your welfare. And it displeases other people. Folks, this, persecution is not, in a Christian's mind, logical. It, it, it's, it's illogical. It doesn't make sense. You know the spiritual help that people need. You have the heart of Christ. You don't understand why your message, why your care would be rejected. And guess what? It didn't make any sense why Jesus was rejected either. It was illogical. He was coming to bring the kingdom to them, to rule and to reign righteously in the city of Jerusalem. And I'm not necessarily comparing us specifically to Jesus, but as we follow him, It's not going to make sense that people don't want your care. They don't want your interaction in their lives. But that doesn't mean that we can't persevere, that we can't still be about people's well-being. But something I want to point out before we jump into chapter 6 here is this. I want you to understand that Nehemiah did not go to Jerusalem seeking enemies. He didn't go looking for a fight. And as believers today, I want us to have the same posture as Nehemiah, as Jesus. Jesus didn't come looking for a fight. The fight came to him. He was only going to seek the welfare of the people. And I think that's really important for us to remember as Christians, just as a simple principle. Folks, I want us as believers, I want us as Christ Chapel to be known for what we are for more than what we are against. Certainly there are are unjust things, certainly acts of evil that we are against, absolutely. But let it be known what we are for. Nehemiah came and it was clear to them even, his enemies, that he was there for the welfare of the people. I want us to be known for what we are for. We are for people having the abundant life that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead to pay for. The eternal abundant life in him that has tentacles that go out and do wonderful, wonderful, great things just like we talked about and saw at all of our campuses. Those tentacles that care for people who are in in desperate situations, in dire situations, that we can be the hands and feet of Christ. You see, Nehemiah came for a purpose, not to fight everyone around. And we'll get to that in a minute of what would have happened had he done that. 
but we want to be known what we're for and not where we're against. And that's what the foundation for how we're going to persevere through persecution. So what I want to do today is just very quickly look at how did Nehemiah persevere through this persecution? Because it's not just as simple as somebody telling Nehemiah, hey, Xerxes telling him, hey, when you go back, just have thick skin. It's, it's not that simple. And so what I want to do is break that down for us and break that down for you and three things that you need to know in order to continue to persevere because these are ongoing things. And so you'll see the verbs that I use have I-N-G because you're going to have to continue to do this because guess what? You don't just persevere once. Perseverance is ongoing. So how do you persevere amidst persecution? So if you look at your sermon notes, we'll start there. So when you face persecution, you persevere by finishing the task no matter who is attempting to distract you. You focus on finishing the task no matter who is attempting to distract you. In verse one, we find out that Nehemiah has all but finished the wall. The wall is all but finished. The only thing that he hasn't done yet is he hasn't finished the gates and the doors. Remember, the gates are are the entry points of which people would enter the city. Uh, But he's finished everything else. There is, as he says in verse one, there's no breach in the wall. Now, this sounds like it, it is almost complete, yet the enemy is still going to try to attack them. Does that sound familiar to the story of Scripture? Folks, the battle is won. Jesus has won the victory. It's over, yet the enemy still fights. Read a great quote this week. The enemy is always looking to turn a victor into a victim. Always. Doesn't matter if the victory is already won. Doesn't matter if you're a victor. They want to turn you into a victim. And so we've got to be on guard, finishing the task no matter who is attempting to distract you. Look at verses two and three. It's a Sambalot and Geshem. This is a new uh, shady character that you're introduced to uh, here. He sent to me saying, come and let us meet together at Hakafirim in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you. So even though the wall is almost finished, all he's got are the doors uh, and the gates to complete, which were a different material. Those were the, the, the wood. The, the wall is stone. He says, hey, I can't leave to finish this work. But these guys are saying, come and meet us in the plain of Ono. Now, when you hear Ono, you should say, oh, no. Like, don't go there. Ono was about 25 miles away north of Jerusalem. 25 miles away. This would have been a two-day journey for Nehemiah to go and visit these two guys that have been against him ever since the day he showed up. Now you catch the irony here. They've been right next to him, prodding at him, poking at him trying to get, they they were making fun of the wall. Remember, they said, even if a fox stands on that wall, it's gonna fall. So they've been right there at the wall in Jerusalem the whole time. Now, all of a sudden, they say, come meet us 25 miles away. 
doesn't make any sense. It seems illogical. And the way that they are wording this, this question is really interesting. It's almost that they have this conciliatory tone to it. They're almost as if they're conceding that, hey, okay, you built the wall. We're going to have to learn how to live together. We're going to have to learn how, how to get along. Let's meet in this neutral site and find some common ground here. Now, I want, I want to give a quick word to us as believers, okay? Be careful where you go to find common ground with non-believers. People that do not know Jesus are going to try to draw you offside, to use a, a, a football term. They're going to try to get you to meet them in a plane of Ono, where you can find common ground, this, this, this mutual agreement, this mutual understanding of, hey, can't, can't we both get along here? Can't we coexist? Can't we both agree? And they're going to try to draw you to the plain of Ono, to this common ground, with very godlike words of tolerance and, and mercy and compassion and justice, and all of those are great things, and I'm so glad that even non-believers have this almost sense of consciousness that they understand that those are good things for other people. But be careful how far you go to find common ground with those who do not know Jesus, because what you might be going to as you think is common ground might be enemy territory. It might not be friendly ground that you think on, and you might go so far away from home base that you don't look like home base at all. You don't look like you were there. You don't look like you belong as, as a Christian. You're so far outside the camp of orthodoxy. Be careful where you go for common ground. And so these guys are trying to, to draw him out, and he says, but they intended to do me harm. And that's why he says, I, I can't go. Why should I go? In fact, in verse four, if you look at it, he says, and they sent to me four times in this way. They were persistent. They weren't going to give up. And I know when you think you, you've made your stand, you go, what? great, I've made my stand. I've, I've told everybody where I am. I'm not gonna have to say that again. No. You're going to have to do it over and over again. He's, they sent to him four times this way, and Nehemiah said, I answered them in the same manner, every time. And so here's something you need to know. You need to know your calling and communicate it clearly and consistently. Know your calling and communicate it clearly and consistently. Now, the first thing that you might be saying to yourself is, Cody, I don't have a calling. I don't know what you're talking about. Yes, you do have a calling. In Ephesians chapter four, verse one, you are called to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. In a worthy manner, in a way that shows the difference that Jesus has made in your life. And you have, that is your calling that you would walk in a sincerity and purity of devotion to Jesus in every area of your life. Because as scripture teaches us, you were bought with a price, you are not your own. You are his. And so your calling 
is to walk in a manner worthy of that, to show people that you are his in every area of your life. That's why I said you need to know your calling, but you also need to communicate that consistently and clearly. Bottom line, what I mean by that is not be hypocritical. You can't be two-faced. You can't be, give one answer over here and another answer over here. Or live this way on Sundays and this way with the, the guys and buddies from work. You, you can't be this way in junior league and this way in women in the word. You, you can't be two different things. You have to know your calling and communicate it with your words and with your actions consistently and clearly. Colossians chapter four, verse five and six says this, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. And why does he say toward outsiders? Because they're always looking to turn a victor into a victim. They're looking for holes. They're looking for someone to fall. So walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious and seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. You've got to communicate clearly. Now, there's two ways that he's talking about communicating here. Obviously, he's talking about speech. The way you talk, does the way that you talk represent that you know and follow Jesus? But it's also the way that you walk. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Walk in the walk and talk in the talk. Do you communicate your calling that you are called as a follower of Jesus clearly and consistently? And I'll give you, I'll give you examples. These don't have to be your examples necessarily, but uh, one way, I know uh, an incredible family, love the Lord, uh, love, love their kids, disciple their kids well. They have said as their family rule, they're not gonna do any activities on Sundays. They're just a no activity family. I'm not saying that has to be you. That's their own conviction because they wanna set aside that day for the Lord and for their family. And they communicate that to all the activities that their kids are involved in. Super talented kids, they're involved in everything, but they say, hey coach, hey teacher, hey, hey mentor, hey leader, our kids won't be there on Sunday. We'll be there every day of the day of the week, we will be committed, but Sundays, that's a day for the Lord and our family. They, that's the real deal. They're communicating clearly and consistently. Do you have examples like that? I'll, I'll give you another example that'll go really Monday morning. Marriage. Do you communicate clearly and consistently that you are a married man or woman committed to your spouse? Do you set clear boundaries with those of the opposite sex? Because let me tell you what, if you're married, what your calling is, is that what God brought together, let no person separate. Are you communicating that clearly and consistently so that anybody of the opposite sex would say, they haven't, they haven't gotten anywhere close to crossing a boundary with me? That's an, it's an easy, consistent way. But folks, those are ways that will undermine the work of God in your life. That's why I want you to 
clearly and consistently communicate your calling. Second, the second way to persevere is by obeying God's word and not compromising no matter the circumstances. Obeying God's word and not compromising no matter the circumstances. Nehemiah, as, as this wall is coming together, all he's got are those last two little parts put together. The pressure begins to turn up on him. Uh, the Geshem and Sambalot send, they, they did the letter four times to them to try to get him to the plain of Ono. But now they send an open letter that they want someone to read in front of all the people. And there are these false accusations against Nehemiah saying that Nehemiah was only there basically as a power play so that he could rebel against the, the, the king, but also that he could collect the power and lord it over the people. Just, again, false accusations. And so they're trying to get public pressure and public opinion turning against Nehemiah. And so that pressure is getting turned up. And then all of a sudden, there's this murder threat Shemaiah comes and says, hey, they're going to come and kill you, Nehemiah. He's got a death threat against his life. And in fact, he goes and he tells Nehemiah, hey, this death threat is real against you. So why don't you come into the temple and hide with me there? And if you look at verse 13, it says this, for this purpose, he that was Shemaiah was hired hired by Sambalot and Geshem, that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin. And so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Now, why would it be sin for Nehemiah to go and hide in the temple? Well, it's because no one who was outside the priestly order was able to go inside the temple. That was reserved for the priestly order, and Nehemiah was not of the priestly order. Now, Shemaiah was of the priestly order. He could go in, which is why he's trying to entice him. Hey, I'm in here. Come be safe with me. They're going to murder you. And he says, no, no, no. This is a plot against me so that I would sin. They're not actually going to murder me. They just want to speak ill against me speak badly of my character and call me a sinner, that I'll do whatever it takes just to preserve my own life and not place my trust in God. That's why it says in verse 12, and I understood that God had not sent him, that was Shemaiah, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sambalot had hired him. They hired him to try to entice him to sin. And what Nehemiah knew is that if God was truly in this, then God would not lead him to sin. See, the second thing you gotta know is you've gotta know the word of God so that you can discern the will of God. Know the word of God so that you can discern the will of God. Again, it goes back to almost, if you don't know your calling, you have a calling. If you don't know the will of God, you can know the will of God it's right here in scripture. You can know the will of God. You know what one of the wills of God is for you and for me is that we would be sanctified and conformed to the image of Christ. That is the will of God for you. So that, that's, that's not confusing. 
And you've got to understand the word of God, so that you know the will of God, so that when people start asking you, hey, get involved in this, or hey, you should do this, and they start giving you advice, you can get really confused by the multitude of counselors, especially in the court of public opinion. That's why you have to know the word of God so that you will not walk in a way that is contradictory to your walk with him. If he didn't know that, if Nehemiah didn't know that it would be a sin for someone of the priestly order to go into the temple, then he would have sinned. It would have brought disrepute upon him and the work that he was doing and his God. There's a lot at stake. And folks, when you carry the name of Christ, there's a lot at stake. That's why you need to know his word so you know how he's leading you. He's never going to lead you to sin, ever. That is not in his will for you. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that God, in fact, when you are tempted to sin, God always provides a way out. And you say, Cody, I'm just, I'm confused. You know what else the word of God says? Our God is not a God of confusion. So go to the word, go and pray. Go and look. And you say, well, Cody, the word doesn't speak exactly to my situation. It might not speak exactly to it, but I guarantee you, you will gain wisdom and discernment that will lead you in that decision and it'll lead you away from sin, which isn't gonna be good for you or the name of Christ. You've gotta know the word of God. That provides those boundaries and those guardrails in your life so that you don't step off into the ditch or into destruction. Folks, I, I am amazed, and, and I'm sure we'll end up doing this in a sermon some other time, but this is, just, this is just a word to all of you, just a word for the wise. It takes so much more effort to build something worthwhile than it takes to destroy it. It takes so much effort to pour into your marriage, to pour into your family, to pour into a ministry, to pour into a great reputation for Jesus' sake. And we're all one step away from stupid. And we can destroy it in a moment. All you have to do Know the word of God. Walk by the power of the spirit of God so that you don't take that one step towards stupid and destroy something that you spent years building up. Don't waste that effort. Don't undermine the work of God in your life. And then finally, the last way that you persevere through persecution is by trusting the Lord will fight for you no matter who is against you. Trust the Lord will fight for you no matter who is against you. There are so many things, especially in these first six chapters, that are outside of Nehemiah's control. That, that he couldn't, he, he can't control what Tobiah and Sambalot say about him. He, he can't control all those rumors that are going and being spread about him. If he went and tried to control all the things that were outside of his control, the wall would have never been built. There's no way. I mean, it, it would have been like trying to swat mosquitoes in July. I mean, you just, there's so many. You just, you'll, you'll never get the work done. 
you can't do it. You've got to end up saying, God, this is what you've called me to, and I'm gonna trust that you're gonna fight and protect all those things that are on the periphery and fight for me. I'm gonna trust you because you are for me and you are for this work that you have called me to. That's what Nehemiah was about. And because he trusted the Lord, he didn't fight in these worldly means. He didn't go out and try to put, uh, fight fire with fire and say, well, I'll give an open letter to you, Tobiah, and I'm gonna tell everybody how mean and nasty you are. And I'm gonna put out a murderous threat against you. He, he didn't fight with worldly means. He trusted that the Lord would fight for him and he just maintained focus on the task ahead. And because he did that, those around were able to see that this was a miraculous work of God. In fact, they say that in verses 15 and 16. So the wall was finished in the 25th day of the month of Elul in 52 days. Remember, this, is, this wall had been torn down for 140 years and God builds it back in 52 days. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and they fell greatly in their own esteem for they perceived, they themselves perceived that this work had not been accomplished, that, that this work, sorry, had been accomplished with the help of our God. This was so miraculous. God was in this. God was fighting for them. So you just stay focused on the task and trust that the Lord is going to fight for you. Those things that are outside of your control. Just do what God has called you to do. Let him fight the battles and then he will get the glory. So the last thing that you need to know is know the end so you don't lose hope. It's easy to lose hope because so often we get very nearsighted. And I don't blame you for that, I do too. But we've gotta remember the end. Don't, don't fall as a victim when God has already made you a victor in Jesus and he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And he has made you more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. And so I just wanted to end by reading Revelation chapter 12, verses 10 and 11, because this is so encouraging to me when I think of the end and the things that I'm accused of as a believer and what God does in the end of the story so I don't lose hope. This is, and I heard, this is John, and I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ has come. For the accuser, which is what Satan means, is accuser. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even to death. The victory has been won by the blood of the lamb. What I want us to have is the testimony that we persevered through persecution. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you that what you call us to, you empower us to. And you've empowered us by your spirit and you've given us your word that will equip us for every good work. 
And so, Lord God, I pray that you would give us the faith, the strength, and even the thick skin sometimes to not be distracted, to not be discouraged, to not be deterred from living a life worthy of you, Lord Jesus. We want to maintain a great reputation for your sake, that you are our God who does the impossible, the one who forgives our sins, removes all of our transgressions as far as the east is from the west, and raises us up miraculously, as miraculous as the wall was built. You build us up. We get to live the abundant and eternal life that you paid for in Jesus. Lord God, give us the faith to persevere. It's in your name we pray, amen.